Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Ajit Desai of the Bank of Canada, Canada's central bank. In our conversation, Ajit and I discuss how the Bank of Canada is using payments data in innovative ways to make macro predictions and the outlook for central banks using alternative data. In other news, I hope you can join me at Eagle Alpha's Unbound event in New York on Wednesday, April the 6th, where I will be co-hosting the hackathon. Additionally, if you're in town on Tuesday and fancy joining for alternative data drinks in Soho at 5.30pm, get in touch with me on LinkedIn and I'll let you know where our small group is meeting. So in this episode, I'm joined by Ajit Desai of the Bank of Canada. Thank you very much for joining today, Ajit. Hello, Mark, and thanks for having me here. You're very welcome indeed. Um, so Ajit, I am very excited to have um, you on the show, partly because um, you're, you're representing a central bank, um, which I have not had before um, on, the, on, the, on the podcast. I've had um, the UK Office of National Statistics, but that was more of a kind of government uh, position, whereas you're from the pure central bank of, of the Bank of Canada. So, um, so very pleased to have you, have you here today. No, I'm I'm glad to be the first one um, on that side. And just before we get started, so let me say this: yeah. that uh, it is a, it is a great podcast, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to some of your recent episodes. Oh well, thank you very much. Uh, always always nice to hear. Um, but brilliant. So, um, Ajit, you you work at the at the Bank of Canada um, as the as a senior data scientist in research. Before we get into that, why don't we go back and why don't you just give me a brief introduction as to your background? How did you how did you come to be where you are? Okay, so the Bank of Canada is a, a nation's central bank, and its principal role is to promote the economic and financial welfare of the Canada. And bank does that through four core responsibilities, which are the following: to maintain the low and stable predictable inflation, a safe and secure currency, a stable and efficient financial system in Canada and also internationally, an effective and efficient funds management service to the government of Canada and its other client. And more recently, bank is also tasked with the fifth core responsibility to supervise the payment service provider, which is where the aim is to build the confidence and safety and reliability in these services. Yeah, so as you said, I'm, I'm currently in the uh, senior research data scientist at the bank, and as my current focus is on uh, using this machine applied machine learning techniques on the payment research. And I, I joined the bank about five years back, uh, just before finishing my PhD. And I was originally hired to build the payment system simulator. Uh, but uh, but while working on that project, I got fascinated into this interesting data set that is the settlement data coming from Canada's retail and wholesale payment system. So you joined to, to create a payment simulator. So as you mentioned, there are five different um, uses, five different tasks of the central bank. Um, one of which is, uh, is so uh, most of which are familiar in terms of being things like um, the... Uh, uh, controlling inflation, making sure there's stability, all, all of these things which are familiar to all central banks. The fifth one is um, being uh, creating or being in charge of payments. What does that what does that what does that look like? So the, the fifth one that is more recent. Uh, so uh, like under the Retail Payments Activity Act, the Bank of Canada uh, will be responsible for supervising the payment service provider 
And the aim here is to build a confidence in the safety and reliability of their services while protecting the end users from the specific risk. Can you tell me, so who, so who, who covers this payments um, system in other, in other countries? Is that normal for a central bank? Is, is the Bank of England doing the same thing and the Federal Reserve? Um, uh, I think in some countries they have this uh, another entity which which uh, which takes care of this these payment systems. Uh, also in Canada, we also have this Payments Canada, which is actually the the owner of this payment system and who supervises most of the day to day activity. But the Bank of Canada is a, a kind of oversight on uh, on those those services, and I believe this it's a similar situation in the other countries, including UK and uh, in uh, US. Are you familiar with the SWIFT network? Yeah, I do. And where does that fit in? So most of the messages that been, uh, like most of the payments which have been exchanged through this uh, high-value payment system uh, are, uh, are, are in the form of the SWIFT messages. And that's where the, this service is being used. I see. So the SWIFT message is kind of facilitating and, and allowing this, this system or, or the, the system leans on the SWIFT messaging system got it okay so you so canada has recently been so the bank of canada has recently been tasked with um developing a payment system you were brought on to develop the payments um simulator what what does that look like is that some kind of modeling um uh, modeling uh of you know what a what a day of payments might look like so that the so that the payment system is ready for um ready for action yeah, so so we have this payment system from from many years now. So we wanted to modernize this payment system. So Bank of Canada was part of that process uh, in collaboration with the Payments Canada, who is the owner of this system, as I explained. And uh, when I came in uh, and started working with other economists and other computer scientists people uh, at, at the bank, our task was to build a simulator so that we can uh, make this uh, make different kind of simulation study. For instance, let's say if you change some parameters uh, into the system and how that is going to influence the, the system in overall. For instance, like does that going to help uh, participant to process the system faster or does that going to increase the, the liquidity they would need to settle those payments and so on. So it's testing it in, in case of, you know, it's testing, it's kind of um, quality testing it for the the kind of day to day wear and tear that it might face in a in a in a normal running um, economy. Of, of kind of- yeah, that's that's definitely one of the tasks. And the other was to like the, from more research perspective is to if you want to incorporate something innovative into the system or you want to make some rule changes and you don't want to directly put them into the actual system and then deploy it in uh, in in, um, in the economy. Rather, you want to have these kind of simulators where you can. Uh, uh, implement them in as a computer code and try to see how that influence the system and does it helping us to uh, to reach our objective or does it is not so th- that kind of research questions can be answered using the simulator so our task is to build that that simulator which is very efficient uh, uh, in terms of the number of payments it can process and does it replicate the old system and then when we add the add the new rules how does one, that going to help us to to study that Got it. Okay, so you're brought in to do that, and then I interrupted. You said you you became aware of new information coming through. So yeah, so one thing was like to to understand to build a simulator, you have to understand the data, and that's where I started uh, getting more interest into the data. And since I was working with the other economist, we had this discussion about using this this uh, settlement data coming from the system. 
for something other than uh, just for the simulator. So one of the idea was to, can we use this advanced machine learning tool, which was evolving very fast around the same time and use this data, which is available immediately at the end of the credit. For instance, like let's say if your payment system, uh, like whatever whatever happened in the payment system as, uh, previous day could be available next day, right? So it's an it's a mm. electronic payment system. So can we use that data in aggregated format and anonymized way to uh, do some macroeconomic prediction uh, about, uh, it could be about, for instance, Canada GDP or some other macro indicators. Uh, so that's that's how I started uh, getting interested into this non-traditional, or you can say, alternative alternative data, which is not commonly used. And did you? What did you? Was it? Um, was this? Was this your idea that this this data could be used for the macroeconomic forecasting, or was it kind of a bank a bank decision from the higher ups? How did this? How did this? Uh, how was this connection made? So it's not necessarily my own idea. So uh, I'm not coming also from higher up. So in a research team, we have these multiple researchers. We get together, we talk about the things. And then uh, when I was talking to uh, one of uh, one of our senior economists, uh, who is again the researcher, we uh, we started to have a discussion around that. And that's okay. how it uh, it came to, uh, uh, to the existence. Was your job at that point um, involved in the macroeconomic forecasting or were you in very much in the kind of payments silo? And so you were talking to somebody who did do macroeconomic forecasting all day and they said, wait a minute, you've got access to that data. That could be that could be really useful for us. Uh, so it's all the way around. So, yeah, my job wasn't at that time involved in, in doing any microeconomic forecasting and I didn't have any past experience at that time. But like no. uh, the, the economist I was talking to, he had some exposure and he uh, he knew about, OK, uh, uh, what how the microeconomic forecasting work and what are the challenges, some of the challenges they have so far. And he also knew about the data. And that's how we um, we uh, we got this uh, this idea. So it sounds like you've talked yourself into a big problem <laughs> because now <laughs> you've got a you were just you were just uh, hypothesizing about the possibilities and now you've been given the task of actually having to uh, to forecast the the Canadian economy using your data and so I imagine your your job has uh, has has um, massively increased as a result is that is that fair yeah uh, th- this was not necessarily a problem it became an opportunity for me so that uh, i was also interested in this uh, uh, machine learning tools and how they uh, help us to do this microeconomic prediction and I, we had this interesting data set so we decided to combine them and test them and uh, th- these tools uh, they, they seems to be good but you when you start using them you learn a lot about the data as well as the tool and that's that sure. created an interesting uh, interesting learning opportunity for me as well for sure i mean i'm i find this interesting it sounds to me very similar to what has happened in on the private side uh, the the kind of um, on the in in the in the private world um, of a credit card transactions companies credit card companies discovering actually that there was huge value in their transactions that they were just doing for a living similar to what the bank of a bank of canada was just doing payments in order that payments could be done and um and these credit card companies say wait a minute actually there is value that that people can find and um whereas a credit card company went uh, went to a hedge fund and said do you want to buy it you went to the other half of the bank and said do you want to use it for your for your prediction job so it's a similar you know it's a microcosm or actually, it's a macrocosm <laughs> um, version of uh, of what was happening with the with the credit card um, credit card, which is where alternative data has come from. So, in a way, you're you're kind of mirroring um, the, uh, the 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 development of alternative data in the in the in the private world as well. 
Yeah, no, that's that's true. But there are some crucial differences between the, um, this this private credit card data and the kind of data we use. First of all, like we use only at the aggregated level, so we don't have any information about the user as opposed to in credit card. You might know the, uh, although anonymized, you might know the these are number of, these are people who are using this credit card and they are trying to make a transaction. As opposed, here is the most mostly aggregated level. And it's between the banks, so we we don't see any transaction for individual person. That that makes sense. I mean, increasingly, that's becoming the case with the credit card stuff as well, because nobody wants the individual data, and if anything, it's just dangerous. So um, there's increasing obfuscation coming on. But I I appreciate completely, and I'm and I'm and it's very important to say that you know a big national institution like the Bank of Canada is aggregating this this data and is not um, focusing on individuals. So let's let's make sure that point is clear. But um, but so uh, the so can we talk a little bit more about the data itself? Is the is it the case that any single transaction which happens in an electronic manner in Canada has to come to that come through the Bank of Canada in in this payments process? Because with credit card data, you're just getting the data of a um, of that credit card, you know. So if someone isn't using their Mastercard, then it's not going to come up. Um, when in in this case will you cover any transaction in canada is it is it completely full coverage like that so so the original payment system which is um, with the payments canada uh, they do receive uh, this individual transaction that has to be settled into the system uh, until that that transaction is settled it's not final so they do have this multiple transaction but one crucial thing is like we don't get those credit card transaction here uh, in the in this retail system in canada what we have is more of a point of sale debit card or the check payment or online payment where you use your uh, uh, debit card to process those payments or you go to the ATM and take out some cash, those kind of, except all the credit card payments, those those kind of transaction uh, that needs to be settled between these banks. For instance, let's say if you are, you you your bank is a bank A and my bank is a bank B and uh, uh, if you want to make some transfer to uh, to me, uh, then that basically means that bank A needs to settle that transaction with bank B, uh, although you initiated that transaction, right? Yeah. So those kind of settlement transaction happen, and there are a variety of transaction on the on the retail side, and uh, the kind of data we get is mostly at the end of the day aggregated level. So let's say bank A sent bank B thousands of transaction, and bank B receives back about about the same transaction. And the end of the day, what is the total netting between uh, happen between that? So we get kind of those net net settlement data and there is also a large value payment system uh, or you can say wholesale payment system that's where these transactions are being settled and that in that system we can see this uh, transaction level data but again that is already aggregated for some other purposes and those transactions are just uh, uh, a big uh, high value transaction that has been finally settled or uh, the obligations are being transferred and is it all? Um, sorry if you've answered. This, is this all between banks, or will you get um, retail, for example, transactions of a of a customer? Um, will, is there any data set in which you'll get what a customer did in a certain shop, or even how much a certain shop took in a day, or even how much a company took in a certain day, or anything like that? No, for not for any individual or any businesses, but we see this categorization between different types of payments. For example, if you're using check, then that has been settled in a differently compared to the point of sale 
debit card or ATM or uh, this some other means of payments. So we get, get this categorization and that is settled between this different uh, multi uh, uh, participating bank, but we don't get to see any customer or any business who initiated those transactions. You are so what you're what you're actually getting is um, lit. You're you're ultimately getting the quantity of payments in a day, presumably the amount of money spent across the economy and the way in which it was paid. So you're getting you're finding out, uh, you know, wow, checks are back in fashion this year. Everyone's using checks type thing um, or or everyone's withdrawing cash for their ATMs, which is useful for a, for a central bank to know because they need to start making more cash, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's at that level much more than the than the commercial understanding what type of spending is going on that's exactly right yeah okay which is useful for a bank of canada um and not so useful for a hedge fund i don't think so um it's good that it's going to uh it's good that it's going to you guys and not to uh not to the hedge funds um but so you then saw that you could use this for macroeconomic forecasting um how so, so basically, as you explained uh, just now, like this data is basically the flow of uh, 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 money between the banks, which is initiated for some economic reason. So can we use this in aggregated fashion? Because this is what uh, happening in the economy, right? So we see some of the consumer spending, some of the business to business transaction, some of the government of Canada transaction. So it's a very comprehensive uh, things that happening in this system. So that could be a good reflection of uh, what's going on currently in the economy. And mm-hmm. that could tell us something about not the whole GDP, uh, probably, but some components of the GDP, which can be predicted uh, or now casted uh, uh, using this kind of data. And that's where we saw the opportunity. And the main reason is, again, because this data is available timely, as opposed to some of the other, other data set, which could be used to do the same thing, but they only release uh, uh, late, late into the into the quarter or into the month. So, can we tell immediately about uh, the the ongoing situation in the economy using this kind of payment state? So, thinking back to my uh, to horrible, um, stuffy, dusty classrooms where I where I um, vaguely remember learning things like this, then there are ways to calculate GDP. And it is, um, for example, that you would add all the spending in the economy. So you would add what all the consumers have spent and you'd add what all the employers have spent and you'd add all the et cetera. Um, and that is a way of, 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 um, of tracking it. So from your perspective, that's, your day, that's the Bank of Canada's day job is to try and do macroeconomic forecasting as part of it. Um, from your perspective, you, by understanding this payments data, are rather than historically you used to be having to send off surveys to companies saying how much money have you spent roughly um you are now able to actually register it and get fast real-time payments data which will show how much each of these segments is spending and so then you can add it up um and then um get a get a kind of real-time accurate measurement which you then presumably compare to the old methods do you you're you're kind of using it in conjunction with the old methods the the kind of surveys etc um in order to check your working you're not you're not relying fully on this are you yeah that's that's exactly so uh, obviously those estimates are very important and those are very reliable source of data and um, uh, any any economic agent who want to make a decision they they would be relied on those data so what we are adding here new is uh, can we 
tell a good estimation uh, estimates of that that survey data long before that has been uh, that that will come to us and that will give us an indication that okay this this is happening right now and uh, this data is, can tell us of course there are some errors uh, in the data because this this famous data is not entire replication of what's everything that is happening in the economy so but it will give a good in, uh, good estimation of that that actual uh, survey data or the survey estimates of the gdp or other macro indicators which will be released in the future um when you say forecasting it's kind of now casting isn't it it's it's understanding what is happening in the economy today um rather than trying to project 3 months from now it's it's a, it's exactly. a kind of yeah okay yeah and this kind of data has more power in now casting because this is what uh, we are just gathering aggregating what's happening today and uh, mm-hmm. we want to tell about some important key macro indicators that uh, uh, using that information and the for forecasting probably this data doesn't add too much value maybe short term forecast maybe a, a month ahead or something but if you're trying to do quarter ahead or years ahead probably it's not going to be much useful i don't want to stumble into into uh, too much political territory but i'm just stri- it strikes me that on an average day things are ticking over normally and and a kind of fairly pro- probably week by week cyclical and they go you don't probably get too much um dramatic changes or un- completely unpredictable changes um with things i imagine you would need it would be particularly useful if you were measuring an event of some sort like something has happened what effect is it going to have so for example covid the reason i mentioned politics is this kind of tooling could be quite useful for russia right now to see the effect sanctions is have, having the day after it's happened you know that type of thing but maybe i shouldn't even touch the political so let's let's just talk about covid or if some kind of major event were to strike the canadian economy then this would be a really good way of tracking the change and 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 what's happened and then feeding it to who i mean the uh, would you be feeding it to the um uh the 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 board the um the monetary board or would you feeding it to the to the canadian government yeah no that's a, that's a very good point so uh yeah definitely the the use of this data in in your, in our research project basically we we realize that in normal times probably this data doesn't add too much too much value in in predicting you are now casting some of the macro indicators although it does add some value but its its importance increases a lot during the uh, during this uh, economically stress period for example covid 19 period and uh, that that specifically we saw that uh, uh, the importance of our re- the data coming from this retail payment system was was very high and it helped us to improve the prediction uh, of some of these macro indicators uh, during those time we also tested uh, back in you know during this global financial crisis does this data had a similar uh, predictive power during those time and we got a similar results that this data becomes much more useful during this crisis time as opposed to the normal times and this kind of exploration we do because uh, this kind of uh, research could help uh, 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 our policy analysts to think about whether they want to use this data and how they want to use this data whether all the data we are using is useful or some some component of the data is useful and that's why we do this thorough analysis and present this report and then policy people would would look into that and if they think that okay it is going to add a value then they they would incorporate it uh, into the into the official models and then those official models or those, the outcome of those official model 
yeah, the outcome of those models will be fed to the governing council, who is basically making the final final decisions. Got it. Got it. Um, where well, we we have had this whole conversation without really talking about dates. When did you begin um, doing using using this payments data in this way to um, to understand the uh, the um, to understand the economy? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So we we started talking about it before the pandemic. Um, and that okay, can we this can be done? Uh, we want to test it. We started prototyping this small model at a very small scale because we don't want to uh, invest too much time and efforts immediately because we don't know if this will add value enough enough value or not. But the efforts become uh, much more useful and accelerated as we entered into the pandemic. Uh, so we we started spending a lot more time and started to realize, oh, this this has value, uh, and it could help us during this time. Mm. Um, and now coming out of the pandemic, now it's just part of the system, is it? It's the the crisis has really helped this become part of the normal and you don't think it's going to drop away now that it's not needed for that short-term need of the pandemic i, I think so personally i think so from a research perspective it is it is still uh, going to be useful moving forward uh, how much useful it's uh, is a uh, different question but but in the future situation where something some other, other economic situation or economic stress happen again the value of this data is going to be very very important for sure do you make the um is this data available ex- outside the bank um, do you make it available? Do you publish it? Uh, no, we don't publish it. But the the payments Canada, who is the owner of the data, they do publish uh, at very high aggregation level. For for instance, like for the retail payments, they publish only at yearly aggregate level data, and for the wholesale, I believe they publish at the monthly aggregated level. Okay, and that's and that's just for free. Essentially, it's just an, an issue. Yeah, that that data is for free. If anybody wants to take a look, uh, and for 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 Bank of Canada, we get to see that mostly for the research purposes. Okay, so where would you say? So, are you still someone? Are you still sitting in the payments part of the Bank of Canada, looking into the macro for, forecasting and trying to help them, or are you now? Would you say you've got one foot in each in each camp, or are you are you kind of half macro forecasting and half payments now? I would say more on to the uh, payment side. So still I'm working not necessarily on the same uh, same project. So we already have that paper, which uh, which published as a staff working paper now. And now we let the uh, policy people decide how much of that they, they think it is useful. And we are moving forward to the other other interesting projects, which are more related to the payments as opposed to the forecasting. Fantastic. And are you aware of any other uh, innovative forms of data that the Bank of Canada may be using um, in 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 the running of its its day to day? I don't know if the macro forecasting team are are using other forms of alternative data that you're aware of. Yeah, so there are there are a couple of examples. Um, uh, I can give you a quick overview of that. So one uh, interesting uh, case, again, uh, this was more of a research exploration project, was uh, business closure and reopening in real time using Google Places. Nice. And and there was another similar project. We can talk a little bit more about these two. Is the Canadian job posting in digital sector during this COVID nineteen? So again, this is all influenced by the COVID nineteen, and we wanted to get the the real-time information, and that's why we had to look at the alternate data sources. Can they tell us about how fast the business are, new business are opening or closing because of this this pandemic, which affected differently on the different industry and how, how the, the effects has been distributed across the industry? And that, to me, it's very interesting. 
the job board data, the the new jobs creation, etc. Um, that is a, a very kind of recognised form of alternative data. In fact, um, I've I've had link up um, on the, this podcast very recently. Um, from a Bank of Canada perspective, would you be expecting the Bank of Canada to be scraping that information itself or buying it from an alternative data provider? So, so for the research, I guess they they we generally don't scrape the data, uh, which is uh, like just we don't go and scrape the data in a way. So yeah. we we want to get it uh, in a legitimate way, and uh, if need to be paid, then we pay for that and we get it uh, on more legitimate way. And uh, for this research project, we get small amount of data first. We build these prototypes and test it whether it does really add a value. Uh, and then, then that the researcher job is done. And then the policy people they look into that and they see if, if it is going to be much useful for policy decisions. Then they there is a different process for that. And uh, generally, we don't uh, interact too much into that that side. It's a funny thing. If I worked in a central bank, then I feel like I would completely lose. Um, lose appreciation for the for the value of money <laughs> because <laughs> you know you'd, you'd the, <laughs> the temptation would be that the, the the guy selling you the data set would name a price and you say sure <laughs> you know i can i can i can do anything <laughs> um, <laughs> no that's a that's a misconception <laughs> i mean we we everything has to be fair right i mean we we maybe are some in some cases we might hire external consultant to uh, see if that that value they are quoting to us is a fair price or not instead yeah. of me we making a decision so yeah it looks like that but it's not <laughs> you could be the per- the ultimate client really i mean getting the getting the central bank buying your stuff could be a really a, a very good um a very good money maker but um literally but um the okay so that's interesting so you will go out and buy um and so do you think broadly um uh, you, they probably don't want to be swamped but do you see Central Bank of Canada, and maybe if you want to talk more generally about central banks, do you see them as a um, potential uh, growth customer for alternative data providers? Can you see a need for central banks to, you, as you say, we started with payments, which was internal within within the Bank of Canada, but then also we've gone to um, Google Places and uh, and job board job information. Um, do you see a case for a central bank being interested in buying, I don't know, I mean, um, satellite imagery or, um, uh, I mean, everything escapes me, like uh, flight data or, you know, all, all the different kinds of alternative data that's available. Can you see uh, the, the 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 central banks wading into this market more in the future? Uh, I personally believe so. Uh, and let me give you an example. Like uh, th- there is a very interesting um, um, article published by... Um, Bank of International Settlement um, mm. on the big data and machine learning in central banks around the world. And uh, they, they conducted survey among 52 central banks. Uh, I guess most of these big uh, uh, developed countries and developing countries were covered in that. And if you if you see the outcome of that survey, this, which specifically focus on increasing use of this big data or non-traditional data in research, instead of alternate data, I guess people use non-traditional data um, yeah. Yeah, more. And the survey was focused on the key opportunity such data set present and also the challenges faced by the central bank in use of such alternate data. And out of those 52 central banks, about 80% said that they use big data regularly um, uh, and their interest in big data for policy 
is uh, obviously rated as very important. And what do you think, if you were an alternative data provider, what do you think would be the best way in, in identifying the person to talk to within a central bank about this kind of thing? Who, would you, who should they be trying to, trying to reach out to? I guess it's, in my opinion, it works other way around. If, if, the, if the central bank, uh, somebody analyst or a researcher are interested, they would go and reach uh, these people as opposed to somebody directly trying to come and reach to us. Uh, that, that's my impression. I think it works that way. I think that sounds right. I don't think, I don't think, I imagine the central bank isn't, isn't just wanting to be swamped with, with people pitching alternative data sets yet, but maybe one day in the future when, when perhaps if it becomes normalized, then perhaps the central bank will be um, a very active participant. Who knows? Um, in terms of the likeliest types of data sets, I imagine a central bank would be um, prioritizing the ones with the biggest scope would it would they not i mean if you're doing macroeconomic forecasts for the whole canadian economy then you probably want a data set that covers the whole canadian economy or do you, can you see a world there are for example alternative data providers which just cover um uber and lyft let's say because that's 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 what their space is can you foresee a world in which the bank, the the uh, central bank would be interested enough in specific and a specific industry like that and might be interested in that specific data or will it always be aggregated across the whole economy, do you think? I guess, uh, in my opinion, the the bank uh, and the researcher in the bank would be more interested into the whole economy more. But of mm. course, uh, we see the potential in this um, this local data. And one, one example, if I want to give, is uh, predicting predicting some of this macro indicator for uh, for this geographical uh, location so instead of predicting for the whole canada can you predict for these different states and that could be very useful for some of the uh, some of the understanding uh, for for various purposes uh, and you could also focus on some of the big cities in uh, in in your in your country for example in canada you could want to know uh, 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 earlier how the Toronto's um, GDP is doing compared to the, the Montreal's and Vancouver mm-hmm. and some of these big cities. And for those kind of things, we do have to have this local data more. And in those cases, probably um, uh, the, the new data sources could be could be useful. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like there could be a there could be a big future market um, uh, coming in in for alternative data being this uh, the kind of central banks. I mean, I've already had a government on, um, and and there was interest from the Office of National Statistics in the UK for for buying alternative data as well. So, um, so yeah, I'd say the future looks bright. Um, Ajit, is there anything um, which we haven't talked about that we that we should have touched on? Anything that you wanted to discuss? I just wanted to bring your attention to another yeah. uh, in- interesting conference on non traditional data and tools. So th- this is very interesting research conference uh, focused on the non-traditional data around the central banks and it is usually organized by this group of central bank and last year uh, that conference was hosted by the bank of canada jointly with the federal board and the bank of italy and i think that conference could be another very interesting place to see how this uh, this is kind of data is being used focusing wow. obviously at the research first and then that could transfer into the policy in the in the in the future so uh, that could be a good resources as well. What's the name of the conference? 
I guess it's a non-traditional data and tools uh, around the central banks. And is it open to the public or do you have to be a central bank? So some part of the conference uh, is open to uh, the researchers from academia and other central banks and I guess from the, some private sectors as well. I mean, if you have some research paper, you can submit there and you can present your work if it is, uh, if it is accepted. And some part is only for the central bank. It strikes me that... Um the it's i mean it's all i i feel like central banks have a tendency to um talk to each other a lot um which is which is very positive and you've got the you've got the uh, the regular meetings at the bank of international settlements that you mentioned and um and etc so i'm not surprised that there is a a central banks conference for non-traditional data i suspect there would be great benefit to be had in central banks sending their um uh, uh, their ambassadors, their their representatives to the alternative data events. You know there are there are regular the uh, conferences, alternative data conferences in you know London, New York, uh, Hong Kong, California, whatever, um, where all the latest alternative data sets are available um, and and looking for buyers and um, interesting conversations are happening and and. It'll be a lot of the same conversations, you know, happening between the central banks and also happening between the between the alternative data buyers and sellers. So it feels like this would benefit from the two worlds meeting in the middle um, and kind of combining conferences, perhaps. Um, maybe that's one for the future. Yes, definitely. I agree with that. Well, um, Ajit, thanks so much. This has been a, a very, uh, very interesting conversation. And I, I've loved, loved learning about what the Bank of Canada is up to. And um, yeah, best of luck with the uh, with your with your future endeavors with it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure talking to you and take care.